0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax, and it's a pleasure to be with you today as we explore the story of one person's journey from trailer park to triumph through real estate investing. So with us today is Todd Pultz, and he is a serial entrepreneur that found financial freedom through real estate investing. Growing up poor in Dayton, Ohio, Todd found a grind to do more, see more, and to be more, and to make more than his parents and those around him. Real estate investing became the ticket that Todd has grown his long-term portfolio to over 600 doors, while his property management company... Handles over 500 doors. So, Todd, take us into the program by sharing a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, that's an easy one. I think all the time, and when people ask me how you got into real estate, I remember the day and the moment that I decided to jump into real estate. And that was back, you know, when my wife and I first got together, we were dating and I was at her house. We were probably three months into our relationship. We were watching a movie on our couch. It was about 6 30 p.m. And she said, Hey, there's a tow truck out in the driveway backing up to your truck. And I said, Well, that tried to play it off at first, but I knew exactly what it was. It was a repossession truck, right? And that was during the same time that my first house that I had bought was being foreclosed on. I was making six figures at my job, I was making good money, but I just didn't have a Skills to manage money, I didn't pay my bills, not because I didn't have the money, just because I was unorganized and, you know, did everything else that I could other than keep all my financial stuff on track. And it was really at that moment where I said, I got to change. I got to do better. I got to be a better father if we're going to have kids. I got to be a better husband if we're going to get married. So I got to get things right. And that for me was when the light switch went off and I started trying to find a vehicle and a path to create financial freedom. So I never had to have that type of moment in my life again. So for me, that's it, man. That's a story that always comes to my mind.
0: Well, you know, that's an interesting story. And, you know, growing up in the environment where you grew up in, where there really was no money management, there just wasn't really probably nobody in your life to learn from it, particularly from examples. So you probably had to learn that on your own. Of course, you're not alone in that. Even those who grow up in more well-to-do families generally don't have anybody teaching them how to manage money. It's one thing that is not very well taught in our particular culture and society. Well, Todd, take us into how it is that you got to where you got and how it is that you made that decision that you're going to start taking care of your money, managing your money. How did you go from that night of realization? This has to happen
1: to where you are today. You know, I remember even before that day, I thought about real estate at one time, but not seriously. Back at that time, there were videos they were selling online, right? The Carlton Sheets videos, if you remember them. And I remember a late night after being out with my buddies and I saw that infomercial come on and said, Hey, be a millionaire, be wealthy, have financial freedom. And I ordered those videos. And those videos set my house. I never watched them. And after my house was foreclosed on, right at that last day when I was going to clean everything out of that house was foreclosed on, I found those videos. And that was about the same time that my car was repossessed and all that good stuff stuff. And for me, I was a police officer for 16 years. And at that time, the only thing I ever knew was law enforcement, criminal justice. I had a criminal justice degree, associate's degree. I didn't know how to do anything else in my life. I was an athlete and a cop and that was it. And I thought to myself, how can I make money? Right? Like, How can I do this? How can I figure that piece of it out? And one of my friends who was my college roommate, I knew his dad had a couple rental properties. And I really just went to him and and said, hey, look, I have $10,000 in my police retirement account. And if I find a quad, a fourplex in Dayton... Will you for 20,000 bucks? Will you give me the other 10,000 and we'll partner on it? And he kind of laughed and said, if you find a quad for 20,000 bucks, I absolutely will partner with you. And that was my first mission. I went to work and I started searching MLS and I wouldn't say that it's luck because I don't believe in a lot of luck. I think the harder you work, the more you grind, the better results you get. But I ended up finding a quad that was on the market for 67,000 and we ended up figuring out it was a quirky deal and we negotiated it down to 21,000 bucks with the owner and we ended up buying that first quad and that was really what started my real estate journey and then I just immersed myself in I jumped off the deep end and just started learning as much as I possibly can now at that time there wasn't all the podcasts there wasn't bigger pockets and you know all of the great shows like you have and so many other you know podcasters have so it was really just digging in with my friend's dad and learning business and just you know committing myself to understanding money and reading and all that good stuff so that's really how I started
0: Well, it's one thing to get into real estate and negotiating real estate deals. That's amazing that you negotiated that down from 60,000 to 20,000. That in and of itself is a feat, but you had no money management. Where'd you pick up those money management skills?
1: Well, I struggled still to the beginning, right? And for me, it started off a little rocky. So we bought that first quad and it was fully rented. We didn't have to, you know, we had to put like 10,000 into it after a tenant moved out. But other than that, it was stable. And then we bought a second property that I found a six unit for 22,000 on a tax sale. And we closed on that. And two days later, before we put insurance on it, the thing burned to the ground. So we went from a great deal to, you know, burning some money up. And, you know, from that point I had a mentor and that was my buddy's dad. And I really just watched what he did and how he did things. And he was a lot like me growing up and he was a self-made entrepreneur And he had a lot of mistakes. You know, He had some tax things that happened in the past. He didn't manage his financials really great at the beginning. So he had already been through the rocky roads and really just stealing his ear every time I had a chance to talk about business and watch every move that he was making. That gave me a little bit of momentum, right? But I quickly realized I had to find people in my life that knew more. And for me, that was tough because I didn't have that network. I didn't have a wealthy network. I didn't know how to get into that network. I didn't know that there was all these real estate conferences and things you could go to. So really just watching the people around me that like my mentor and a couple of people that he knew and seeing what they were doing kind of helped me, right? And then as I started reading more and reading books and understanding financial things and as the internet got bigger for me, you know, really just reading everything I could about wealth, everything I could about finances, finding a financial advisor, you know, with a big company that could help me figure things out. That's really kind of where I started figuring out the money piece. And it really wasn't until three or four years ago that I felt super confident about money. Like how do I recycle money? How do I use infinite banking? How do I consistently... You know, pull my capital back out and use private money and use hard money. So I still struggled for a while, not necessarily managing my money because I got better. And I will tell you, my wife was a big part of that. I turned all my bills over to my wife. I turned all of our finances over to my wife and she kept us on track. I went... At that time, I was at a 515 credit score and I think it even dropped like a 490 at one point. Mm-hmm. And once I turned over all my bills to my wife and we started paying off my debt, getting out of credit cards and getting all the things squared away and my credit started getting better, that allowed me the opportunities to really handle finances the right way, but. Still to this day, my wife in our personal life pays all of our bills. And, you know, I have a good property management team that handles a lot of my finances here, and I feel good about it. But it just took a lot of research, a lot of learning. You know, that's an
0: important point that teamwork is an important part of money management as well as real estate. And it's, you know, it's good that you found partners to help in those areas that you weren't quite as strong in. But you specialize in value add properties and uh, turning those properties around. Specifically, you are looking at C to D types of properties. So for our viewers and listeners, first of all, just kind of define for us what value add is to you, what turning around means to you, and what are you talking about when you're talking about C to D properties?
1: Yeah, I think value add is pretty simple, right? And if you're an experienced investor, you know different avenues for value add. But for us, we have two ways to do that. We either buy an underperforming property and we're able to increase rents and we're able to add extra income and we're able to lower the expenses and then we can force the appreciation on it. So that's one value add, which is not the typical value add that we do. We usually do that with more of a commercial office space building because we don't syndicate big apartment complexes. And when you do that, that's more of the way to do the value add on, you know, complexes that you're paying closer to retail for. For us, we're Looking at properties that have older owners, that have complete, you know, deferred maintenance, that their rents have not increased for the last ten years, five years. I mean, we want to be able to go in and do that. And if we got to do a complete rehab, we will, you know. But we're looking for the properties that are in the higher crime areas that. Other investors don't really want to touch or manage because typically you find owners that have not done a good job managing those properties themselves. So they're willing to sell it for cheaper. So we can get in cheap. We can turn the management around. We can bring in a really organized management structure. And because of my law enforcement background, because of growing up in the city, I feel comfortable in those areas where a lot of property managers might not. And we go in, we get tenants out that don't belong. We bring in tenants that we've screened. We raise the rents up to whatever the market rents are. We do the rehab that needs done. And then we just use a bird technique. So we get a refinance at the higher valuation. And now we have a well performing building that is under great management. And we go from there. And the reason we do that is because our strategy is a cash flow strategy. You know, you have some investors that want a pretty portfolio that they can show their grandkids when they get older and say, look how pretty my properties are. We want nice properties. But we want cash flow properties. And the way to get cash flow properties are to buy properties that are C class, C minus here in the Midwest area, because the barrier of entry is still a lot lower here in the Midwest and specifically here in Dayton, Ohio.
0: We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Talker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to SteedTalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Well, that makes sense to some degree. The, The question I have is that you said that you go into high crime areas, which you're absolutely right. Most investors are going to shy away from that course, most investors don't have a criminal justice background. But still, even with a criminal justice background, I would think that if you're in these crime area, crime-infested areas, property values are, of course, lower there to begin with. But even buying a property, a value-add property, I would think that there's going to be a cap on the level that you can raise that to. In those crime-ridden areas, you're only going to be able to get so much rent out of those buildings. So how are you going about that?
1: Well, so let me just clarify. We're not buying in crime-ridden areas, although we have. We stay away from more of the war zone, if you will. Okay, But we're buying in the higher crime areas that are away from the suburbs. And what we see here, specifically in our area, is that our county that our city sits inside of, I can get almost the same rent in West Dayton as I can North Dayton, as I can East Dayton, as I can West Dayton. Part of that is because we do make the units nice we screen applicants and we get the properties under control. But we also work with a lot of local organizations, you know, like mental health organizations. And we don't do a ton of section eight, although we do, but we can get the fair market rent out of all of our properties. And Dayton being such a unique market, what we found is the properties that we bought for cheap, like we bought quads for 20, 30,000 for you know, all up until two and a half years ago. Okay, So we are finally, all of us that bought properties cheap, we're just now in the last 12 months, really feeling the appreciation that our market has. Those same quads are coming to the market at 235 now. But our rents, I get higher rents than people that are closer to the suburbs. And it's because the product that we present, the way that we structure our renting process. So we're getting the same rents. you know. Now, if you go into the suburbs, you can get $100, $200 more, but you also pay $100,000 more. So if you're somebody that wants the 1% rule and really believes that that's what the strategy should be, then we're probably not it. You know, For us, we're shooting for... Closer to the 3% rule. you know, And that's what we want to do. So we can control properties. We don't buy a property that we can't control. If it's in a war zone or something that we feel like we can't handle, we're not going to do that. But there's very few properties that we don't think that we can get under control and manage effectively. So like I said, our game has always been cash flow. We're just now figuring out that, hey, our buildings are worth a little bit more than what they were five years ago, because we're just now feeling that here in Dayton, Ohio.
0: Yeah, that's good that you're feeling that. Of course, I mean, that's another thing. In those lower economic areas, it is oftentimes more difficult to find appreciation and it takes a longer time to do that, but almost any property is going to appreciate over time. But you've, of course, been able to ride that wave. So you mentioned another term that we probably need to define for at least some of our viewers and listeners, and that is bur and that is actually an acronym that is actually B-R-R-R. So if you would explain to us what that is.
1: Yeah, so you know, burr is that fancy term that was coined, and most of us real estate investors were doing it years and years ago before there was a pretty name for it. But buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, and then keep repeating until you recycle that money as many times as you want. So that's, I think, any investor that's jump into the game now that gets on any podcast, that's what everybody calls me for when they want my realtor services. Hey, I want a burr a property. I'm like, well, that's great, right? So where do you want to buy at? What kind of property do you want to buy? But yeah, you know, real simply, you buy a property, you get the appreciation up a little bit, you're able to get a at appraisal, and then you cash out refinance to pull all your capital back out. And then you just keep using the same money as down payment to go into property after property after property.
0: That's yeah, a good plan. And it works for a lot of people. Well, you are recently, you have gone into development, which I think is a fairly new process for you, but you are developing 116 unit townhome complex. Tell us about that. Tell us about why it is that in this point in your career, you have decided to go into development.
1: You know, for me, it was pretty simple move. As we started seeing our market, specifically our multifamily market, start shooting through the roof for prices, our acquisitions started dropping because it was harder to find properties that fit our buy box. So for me, I said, what can I do, right? When my acquisitions go down, what else can I do to make more money? And what I know is that we have over a 50% rental base in Dayton, Ohio. We have a crazy housing shortage In Dayton, Ohio, and specifically since 2019, because we got hit with tornadoes. So I knew we had a housing shortage and that there's not enough homes in the area, right? Like the inventory is really, really low. And I have some friends that are developers and they're consistently looking for properties. So, really, what I started doing was I went out and started finding land that was in markets that I knew would be uh, great areas, right? Like the last one we're doing is literally a rock's throw from the National Air Force Museum in Riverside, Ohio. So it was, uh, you know, 14 acres just sitting there, you know, zoned single family. And it was a cheap price. I mean, we picked it up for 70,000 bucks for 14 acres, a nice flat land. So I've been buying pockets of land like that in areas where I knew a subdivision could be built. And then kind of what my strategy is, is I go to a city and I try to get them up zoned. So I take them from like maybe R1, which is single family homes on one acre lot. And like this 14 acres, I got an up zone to R4, which is multifamily, which allows us to do 10 units per acre. And then once I get that, then I get the buy-in from a developer with our site plans and my architects and all that good stuff. And then we go. So this is like our third one that we've done. The first two, we land flipped. So we just completely flipped it to a developer for a higher profit, and then this one we're pretty active on this one. So we're going to be there pretty much through the whole process on this one and get this done. But it was just another way to make some money, and I saw a need for housing. And you know, we're still kind of focusing on the new development, and you know, urban infill is something that we've been doing. You know, taking the vacant lots in some of the cities and doing some modular, you know, placements on those lots that can't really be built for the right price because of the cost of all the materials. We found that modular is a good concept to do that. So we've been playing around with that with urban infill a little bit.
0: Well, Todd, you also are into disability facilities and mental health facilities. Is that is an investment, or is that uh philanthropy?
1: No, it's an investment. I mean it's a for profit company. you know you say philanthropy, and we try to do a lot for our community, and this is an investment you know for us and a business for us. My wife and I, where we make profit, but we also feel really, really good about what we're doing you know, we're providing services to the mental health and the developmental disabilities in our community. And really it was a fluke for us to get into it. I had a realtor call me and she said, Hey, I have this guy and he has a 10 unit building and he wants to sell it, but he can't sell it for seven months. So I went and met with him and I said, Hey, I'd love to buy the building for you. He gave me a cheap number, 150,000, which at the time it was a $400,000 building. And I said, well, why you got to wait seven months to sell this? And he said, well, I have all these clients in here that we provide DD services to. So I got to move them out of here and put them into my other homes to be able to sell this building. And I said, well, hold on. Like, I don't know anything about it, but I hear opportunity when I hear it, right? And I talked him in, he was ready to retire. So I told him, well, instead of me buying your building, why don't we just buy your company? And we went out and got our mental health. So we have a residential facility license for mental health. So we can run group homes and we have uh, you know a couple of those. And then we bought his company. So we're able to be an agency service provider for disability services. We help them cook, we help them clean, get ready, take them to work, check on them. Some need more services than others, but for all those individuals, you basically charge like a daily rate. So depending on what level of service they might need, you might charge you know 200 bucks a day or 300. Bucks a day, or whatever, depending on the level of service. So that's kind of our new venture. My wife is the CEO over there, and she's really you know trumping that company along. I handle you know the real estate holdings with our four homes over there. But we're into we're all we're all into that. We love it, and I love meeting with our clients. Like some of them, they're just they're all great. You know they have their own place, and our staff is great. So we're happy we made the decision. But it was a complete mistake that we even got into that. But it's going really well now. Interesting.
0: I suspect that their rental payments are pretty much guaranteed. Are they not? Are they not coming through government sources primarily?
1: Well, no, most of the mental health does. So mental health has a subsidy that comes from the state, which is called an RSS payment, residential supplemental support. But the DD clients, they pay their own rent. And if you think about it, a DD client, somebody that has like a waiver for services, they could have their own house and our company could come to their house and provide the services. So what we've done, which is kind of unique, is we actually provide the housing under our real estate holdings company. So they rent from one of our companies. And then our other company, our provider company, provides the services in those houses for them. So they pay us a rent. And most of that, they're all going to be on like SSI or SSD. So most of their money is going to come out of that. And they all have... Payees, so in a way, the money is guaranteed because our payees make sure we get our rent every month, and then the state pays those daily services that we provide for them. So it is guaranteed, just not kind of in the traditional fashion of getting a check from the state for the for the actual rent comes to you indirectly. Yeah.
0: Well, very interesting. So you advocate for uh, multiple streams of income, which I think is a, an excellent idea. But you currently, I guess, you are operating really seven to ten different streams of income at this point in time. And you talked about the disability services and the development and also the rental income. What are some of the other forms of streams of income that you put together?
1: Yes, I mean for us when we start naming them off, I mean we got our mental health facilities that is one stream of income, our developmental disabilities which is another stream. We have our property management company that manages all the properties. We have of course our long-term hold strategy. We have Airbnbs, which I consider a different form of income than my long-term holds. I'm a licensed realtor, so you know I do 20 to 30 million a year in in real estate sales just as an agent. We have our flipping business. We also have our wholesale and acquisitions business you know, we got our development side of the company. And and of course, you know, I like to dabble around with uh, stocks and crypto and things like that. So, you know, I think our income and my wife still has a W2 job. She's still an ICU nurse at the hospital. So that money still comes in as well. So, you know, I think for us, like being diverse helps me feel comfortable so that if the market takes a turn in one area, like we have another area that picks up, right? Like wholesale flipping is a little hard right now because the margins in our area are so tight, but our long-term holds are killing it. So, you know, we're just, we're diverse in our income and any opportunities that come about, you know, like if it's a good opportunity, we're going to do it, you know, and if I can buy a company and turn around the finances of that company and make it valuable and sell that off, then I'll do that as well. So I don't shy away from any opportunity. I'm never afraid of an opportunity. I'll just jump in and I'll become an expert in it and learn it at the point. But I think that's where a lot of people you know, get tripped up at. A lot of people have fear of what they don't know. And the only thing you really need to know is what an opportunity looks like. And if you know what that is, you can learn the rest. Some
0: excellent examples that you have laid out for us, life-wise and business-wise, and property and money management-wise. So, Todd, tell our viewers and listeners how it is they can connect with you.
1: For me, it's pretty simple. I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. All of them are my name, Todd Poltz, and a couple of them are Todd Poltz official. So that's the easiest way to get hold of me. I check those all the time. So send me a message, direct message, or you know, just shoot me a comment, and and I try to reach out to everybody that reaches out to me.
0: Well, and Todd's uh, website is toddpultz.exprealty.com. And you can find this information in our show notes. Well, Todd, one last question for you. And that is, what is the most
1: difficult setback
0: you have faced in your life? And how'd you come through that time? And what was the lesson you learned from
1: I think for me, it was 2019 with the tornadoes. When the tornadoes came through Dayton, I had 13 apartment buildings that got hit. I had great insurance, but I wasn't prepared for that type of catastrophe. And, you know, I had to sleep on the property for three weeks just to make sure people wasn't stealing vanities from our bathrooms that were salvageable and things like that. And, you know, I worked tirelessly on that rehab. I GC'd the entire thing myself. My insurance company let me do that. And I was able to save a crazy ton of money from our cash value that we got out of it, which allowed me to really start my infinite banking strategy. But For me, what that taught me, those tornadoes, was to always have a plan for the plan that might not work. Right. And I find myself preparing and trying to forecast in the future way more than what I ever did because I was making really good money. And what happens when that pipeline shuts off? And at that time, I didn't have all these streams of income. So while insurance eventually kicked in, my rental income at that time, which was only like 50 units that was down, but that's a lot of units, my rental income just. Shut off, you know, and it took a couple months to get that back up and running. And I didn't have a plan for that. So, you know, we struggled a little bit and I didn't have those backup plans. And in business, where we have a brick mortar, we have evacuation plans, right? We have emergency preparedness plans for business. You should have the same thing. And I didn't. So that was my learning lesson.
0: A great lesson and a good implementation of what you learned from that. Something we can all learn from, and I don't imagine that there are many of us that have evacuation plans, and it's probably a very good idea to have that on every complex we have. I can imagine 50 units being knocked out all at once. That probably depleted a good portion of your operating capital. You were probably quite fortunate enough to even make your expenses. That's could be very devastating. And who has planned for that?
1: Not most of us.
0: (laughs) So thank you so much, Todd, for being with us today.
1: No, we appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad I got to spend some time with you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments.